0: Good to be with you again. Um, I have an idea. Why don't we all meet for worship next Sunday on a beach in Florida? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at that graphic and I'm thinking, oh yeah, that's exactly where I want to be, you know, where the water's quiet and calm, there's no uh, sprinkling rain or anything else. It's just beautiful, it looks warm. And it really is that nice. And uh, if we could all do that next week, that'd be great. But in case we can't, I hope God gives you a a blessed day and a blessed week, and it's good to be with you again in the state of Illinois that is wet and going to be wetter, they tell us, in the next few days. We're going to open in just a few moments uh, Psalm 31. If you have a Bible with you or access to a Bible, I'd um, encourage you to follow that. It's kind of a long reading, and... The, the challenge of reading like that, at least, I'm this is the way it is for me, um, when I was younger and still to this day, if someone else is reading a long passage, at times I'm able to follow every word, but lots of times my mind kind of heads off in another direction and I'm thinking about something else or having to struggle to pull it back, so we... Um, It's helpful sometimes just to have the word in front of you so that you can follow it. And I'm going to focus with you in Psalm 31 on a specific idea that is not really, I think, the prominent theme in the psalm, but it is mentioned, and it at least helps me understand the deeper meaning behind Psalm 31 and where it will ultimately take us. And I want to talk with you this morning about something that all of us, I think, have felt and some of us live with. If you're a four-year-old learning to ride a bike and you keep falling off and scraping your knee and you cry every time it happens, somebody might say to you, you are such a – what's the word you'd plug in? Baby. You know, if you tell a four-year-old long enough you are such a baby, they begin to believe that they're such a baby. If you're a high school kid and uh, your friends are always on you because you just, you know, they seem to have everything together and you don't quite have it all together and they come up to you, you are such a loser. You tell a high school kid long enough that she's a loser and she starts to think, I'm a loser. If you tell any of us, something long enough, we begin to wonder whether or not, in fact, it is true. And if we come to believe that it is true, that feeling that grows inside of us that one author, Lewis Smedes, has described as a lump of lead in the soul is shame. Shame is the feeling that I will never be good enough, I will never measure up, I will always be a baby. I will always be a loser. I am nothing. I am never good enough. Smeeds comes to that conclusion in a book he wrote. Some of you have probably seen this. It's been around a long time. But then I've been around a long time. So many of my books are as old as I am. This book uh, was written maybe 30 years ago. And Smeeds is a professor at um, Fuller Seminary in uh, the West Coast in his teaching career prior to that he was at Calvin College in Grand Rapids my alma mater. I had him as a professor I loved him then and I love him now and I think he is one of the most godly insightful authors that I've read and he's written this little book called Shame and Grace Healing the Shame We Don't Deserve Smead says that shame is like a lump of lead in our stomach it's a heaviness it's that ache in the heart that doesn't go away no matter what you try to do. It's just something you carry with it. Now, Smeed himself comes to that conclusion because he was raised in a home where shame was a pretty much everyday occurrence. He was raised by a mother who felt she was never good enough. And if you are a parent who feels you are never good enough, one of the things you tend to pass on to your children is the feeling that not only are you not good enough, they're not good enough. And that process is passed down sometimes from generation to generation, especially, I think, in certain ethnic groups, from generation to generation until you come to the conclusion, I'm no good, I'll never measure up. And that's exactly the point that I want to begin with, with you this morning, as we look together at the Word of God in Psalm 31, and think together of the theme, shame. Shame. So if you have a Bible open, I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. The words will be on the screen, and um, we can follow it together. I think we have the same uh, versions, although some of the words may differ, so you'll just have to follow that and figure it out as we move along. This is a psalm that's to the choir master, a psalm of David, and he begins with these words, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Is that a familiar line? Remember where that? You read that? We'll come back to it. Into your hand I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to the worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. And you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones, you know, right? My bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O oh Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the head of my enemies and from my Persecutors, make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame. There's that word again, verse 2 and verse 17. Let me not be put to shame. For I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, For he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong. Let your hearts take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So, what is this shame thing, and what might we learn about it from Psalm 31? We don't know why David wrote the psalm. There are a few references. We have some ideas about the kinds of things that might have been going on, but the truth of the matter is everybody has their own opinion about this. When you pick a few verses out of the psalms and begin to find some references, you may find an indication, a hint, of those things that could potentially move David from a good place of self-understanding to a place of shame. Shame, by the way, is how... We believe we are. It is how I see myself. It is what I think I am. Guilt is what I do. Shame is what I am. All of us feel guilty. We all do wrong things. Some of us feel shame because we begin to see ourselves in that way. All right, what is it that David might have been dealing with? Is there anything here? Well, if you look back at verses 9 and 10, can we put those up for just a moment? By the way, we were supposed to have rehearsal on Wednesday night when all of this was going to be covered. They started at 6 o'clock with that meeting. It was a telephone meeting. And I was eating my supper and thinking, I got nothing to do tonight. And I missed the meeting. So uh, when the graphics come up slower than they usually would, it's because I was enjoying my supper and they were doing their work. So I'm not going to throw the graphics people under the bus. This is my deal. I am guilty. But I don't feel ashamed. All right. Look at verse 9, right? Be gracious to me, Lord. I am in distress. My eye wasted from grief my soul and my body also. And then go to verse 10 if you would. My life is spent with sorrow, years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. That's a physical description of something going on that's just draining the life from this man, right? It's like, man, shoulders slumping, bones wasting, the weight of something pressing on him so heavily. And there are times when physical circumstances... Physical conditions have you begin to believe things about yourself that may not be true. Some of us see ourselves, because of physical condition, as weaklings. Some of us have told, been told all our life, well, you're such a weakling. You know? You're such a, such a wuss. You're such a baby. It's kind of like you can't do anything. You're so incompetent an inability to deal with it. You know, the the kind of person who's always sick but never dead. You know what I mean? This shame that comes when you've been placed in a physical circumstance and that's how you define yourselves. And and maybe that's the way it is with David. He's beginning to feel like, man, my days of killing giants are over. I can't throw a stone out of a sling anymore that would bring down anybody. That's all in the past. I I am so weak so incompetent so unable embarrassed by what he has become a woman who had um, cancer and had very serious cancer said to me once you know having cancer isn't the worst part the worst part is the shame i can't do what i want to do anymore i can't be what i want to be anymore and that feeling of heaviness, that shame, that's her self-identity as a cancer victim was something that she had to fight every day of her illness. Some of you know better than I do what that's all about. Because it's how you feel about yourself. We talk these days about body shaming, right? You're too fat, you're too thin, you're too short, you're too tall, your legs aren't long enough, your legs are too short, your ears stick out, you're bald, whatever it is. Some of us tend to identify ourselves in those terms. Physical afflictions or circumstances that we are so ashamed of, it is our self-identity, our self-identification. Is it possible that David was dealing with physical circumstances? It's possible. Also, I think possible that he was dealing with some social stigma. If you could put up verse 11, the next verse, please. He says, Because of all my adversaries, I become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. This is a, this is a social shaming. This is when... The world, it's not what you're saying about yourself. It's what everybody around you is saying about you, and you're beginning to believe it. This is a neighbor. Now, you live in a neighborhood, right? So we do too. We live in a condo. We have 68 neighbors. I will tell you that it's important to us what our neighbors think of us. And, and, and if our neighbors uh, came through our condo and, you know, and said to uh, my wife, you are such a slob. I mean, if that were the consensus in our neighborhood that you are such a slob, there's there's a point at which a a woman who hears that long enough begins to believe that about herself, and it becomes her self identity. Imagine living in that kind of a neighborhood, or an object of dread to my acquaintances. People you know kind of back away from you and begin to avoid you because of how they see you or what they think you are. People cross the street when they see you coming. You begin to think those things about yourself, and that begins to form a self-opinion that Smeads, rightly, I think, says, "Shame." And David says, "Don't let me be ashamed, O Lord." And if it comes from social shaming, it is a condition. It's a circumstance that needs to be addressed. It might be something else for David. Maybe it's not social shaming. It may be, in fact, that there are enemies. People who really are out to destroy him. It isn't so much an acquaintance or a neighbor or the circumstance you're in. The fact is that there are people in this world who we identify as our enemies. We identify as those who are out to get us, to destroy us. They are competitors. They are political foes. They are just plain unhappy people. They slander. They are terrorists. They, 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 they hatch their plots and, and, and their conspiracies. And verse 13 seems to have some reference to that. If we can take a quick look at it. It said, I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me as they plot to take my life. We're not like everybody, and some people, for whatever reason, may want to destroy us. And there comes a time when, if you hear that long enough, you begin to believe it about yourself. The horror of bullying for a young person is the fact that for some young people, when they hear it and it goes on long enough, it shapes their whole identity. It creates in them a burden so heavy, they don't know how to carry it. And that is a reality in this world. It may well have been a reality in David's life. You know probably enough about David to know he had plenty of enemies. There were the Philistines. There were those in his own family, his kids who wanted to take the throne from dad. Surrounded by those kinds of people long enough, create that burden that rests like a rock in our soul. So what happens when you get to that point? David says, I feel like broken pottery. I feel like a precious vase that has been dropped and shattered and my life is in pieces and I don't know how to put it together. I'm busted. I'm no good. I'm worthless. That is shame. And that is a powerful description of the pain that shame makes us feel. Rejected. Avoided. Forgotten. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? Take a look again at verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord. Faithful God, what do you do with it? David learned that those feelings, that weight of his soul, he needed to put in the hands of someone greater than himself. So he took that burden and put it in God's hands. And when you look at this psalm, and, you know, go back through it again on your own, you find words like refuge and fortress and safe place. And you get these pictures of David understanding that when this stuff is so hard to take, he makes a beeline for the hands of God because he understands it's only in God's hands that the weight of shame can be rightly dealt with. He's not strong enough to deal with it on his own. He can't get rid of it himself. He needs stronger hands than his to deal with the shame that potentially can destroy him. I'm trusting you, God, he says. I'm trusting you. Don't let me be put to shame. Don't let me down. Don't drop me. Don't let me feel like a shattered piece of pottery. Hold me in your strong hands. Well, we feel the same prayer, don't we? I mean, I do. You probably do as well. When you're in... That place, that place, that is so difficult, and for many of us, so dangerous. Now back to verse five. Um, you know where, I think, right? You heard those words, "Into your hands I commit my spirit." Can you uh, can you tell me where you've read that before, or what's going on when that's said? Yeah, yeah, right. Seven last words of the cross, right? Most of us know these words not because we know Psalm thirty-one, five. We know them because the Son of God is hanging between heaven and earth and he's dying for human sin. And it's at that point that he quotes Psalm 31, verse 5. Now, um, let me just read what's going on. When Jesus says this, and keep these words from Psalm 31 in mind, and let's see if we can pull this together. Uh, in, in Luke 23:44, we read, "It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour." And I'm wondering why was it dark? It feels like there was so much shame at Calvary that the world covered its face the world couldn't handle looking at what was going on there. I mean, really. The curtain of the temple, Luke goes on to say, at that moment in the darkness, in the afternoon on Good Friday, the curtain of the temple was torn in two and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, when David said this, he was saying, God, I want to get out of this. I don't want to deal with this. You have to help me. You are my refuge. You are my strength. But Jesus, when he said it, is saying, Father, I have come for this very purpose not to escape anything, not to get out of anything, but to take it all on me. Every ounce of sin and human shame laid on my shoulders and let the sun in darkness hide. I will take it into your hands. I commit my spirit not to get out of this, but to walk every step through it so that any soul burdened by the guilt of sin and shame of false self-identification can find freedom and grace. Now, isn't that great news on a rainy Sunday in Plainfield, Illinois? Can I get an amen? Amen. Wow. I mean, if that doesn't do something for you, folks, you and I are living on a different planet. We really are. <laughs> Into your hands, God. You know, there, I, I say those things. I say, God, I'm putting my life in your hands because I just can't deal with this. You are stronger than I am. You are wiser than I am. You can lift the burden of my soul. I'm asking you to do that. And he points me to the cross where his son says, I'll take it. I'll deal with it. It's done. The guilt of your sin is forgiven. The shame that others or even you have placed upon yourself is lifted. Hebrews saw it so clearly. Hebrews twelve two. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him now get this, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Isn't that fantastic? He's on the cross and there are people there watching him die saying, you ought to be ashamed of yourself thinking you're somebody who's going to save somebody else. You can't even save yourself. Come on down if you can. And Jesus saying, I won't take it. I won't accept it. It's nothing to me. Scorning the shame. Enduring the cross. For people like us. Who in a guilt and shame. Turn to him. For help. So he who scorned the shame of the cross. Has purchased for himself. A people who deal with shame. So when you begin to feel that heaviness in your soul, um, and you know it really doesn't belong there. I mean, really. Th- th- there's a truth that, I, you just need to say this, there's a truth that every one of us has got to own about ourselves. And um, this does not make to need to make you ashamed it's just reality I can say I am a sinner I just am I, I would like to have you think differently of me than that but that that's not the truth I am a sinner and so are you and y'all look nice this morning but the fact is that's what we are It's not what we are as sinners that we need to walk out of here remembering. It's what He is as Savior. He scorns the shame, He lifts that burden. So I'm here to tell you I am a sinner redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ the Savior. I am a sinner, but I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am not ashamed of myself as I stand before God. I am a forgiven sinner through the blood of Jesus. And I will not let you or anyone or myself cause me to be ashamed. I am a redeemed child of God by grace and my prayer for you is that you are the very same through trusting and knowing that this Jesus paid for your sins with his body and his blood and you are counting on that with every ounce of your being we're all sinners but we are not ashamed amen amen let's pray what a wonderful word Lord God to be delivered from shame, and I pray this morning for those of us who have um, maybe come out of backgrounds or heard stories or heard it so often we begin to believe it about ourselves. We'll never amount to anything. We're no good. All of that stuff, and it plays like a broken record, and it feels heavy and a burden in our souls. I just pray that you would lift that now by the grace that only Jesus can give. And I thank you, Jesus, that you who went to the cross and scorned the shame that you can take those burdens even as we commit our own lives into the hands of a Heavenly Father. I pray that grace would reign and rule here at Christ Community Church, that it would be a gracious community of people who are not ashamed, but who are flooded by your love, your grace, and your goodness, and who share that with each other. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.